Today on Happy Sick Infused, Colin Farrell on his cinematic adventures with Oliver Stone, Michael Mann, and now Tim Burton. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy Sad Confused. Today's episode, first time podcast guest, at least on Happy Sad Confused, Mr. Colin Farrell. Uh, Someone I've wanted to have on the show for quite a while. So thrilled that Colin made the time on a very brief trip to New York. Uh, basically the GMA, me, and I think like one other thing in his 12 hours here. He squeezed us in. I chatted with him for a good 45 minutes in a random anonymous conference room. Um, and uh, it didn't matter, though. The surroundings were not the uh, the important part of it. The important part was uh, his frankness and charm and wit. He is someone who's so talented as an actor, but also um, someone I, I always enjoy chatting with because he... You know, he's lived a life. He's certainly, and he's been very open about it. He uh, he sprung to fame in his early 20s thanks to being plucked out of virtual obscurity by Joel Schumacher in the film uh, Tigerland. And then it was off to the races. He was just put into big Hollywood movie after big Hollywood movie. Some good, some bad. Um, but he was always someone to watch and always someone that was, that was fascinating to kind of follow. And meanwhile, off screen, he was really, you know, he was dealing with stuff. He was dealing with addictions and, and, and the troubles of youth. And it took him a while to get his act together. And thankfully, he's on the other side of it now and can look back at it all with great humor and humility. And um, that's all you can ask for from somebody to um, have a sense of humor about the, the bizarreness, the bizarre arc of a life. Um, and certainly, Colin uh, was a delight to chat with. His new film is Dumbo. It is the latest from Tim Burton. It is uh, a super sweet movie, a a kind of a, I wouldn't say a remake. It's it's almost like an embellishment. It's a continuation and a a new interpretation of the classic Disney story. Uh, Features Danny DeVito and Michael Keaton and Ava Green. And um, I was was really charmed by it. It's one of, I think, Tim Burton's best in recent years. And the production design is fantastic. It's very sweet. It recalls a lot of... Um, his early work it reminded me at times of Edward Scissorhands even, and I mean that in the high, that's, the, that's high compliments as far as I'm concerned. Um, so yes, check out Dumbo this Friday when it's out in theaters. And um, I hope you guys enjoy this chat as much as I did. Colin is, uh, is, is a, yeah, he, he's, he's a special one. So anyway, uh, there's a reason why I wanted him to have him on the show for so long, and I'm happy it finally worked out. A note about the audio. It's not great. Here's the story, guys, just in brief. This has happened maybe once or twice in the history of the five years of Happy Second Fused. The recorder, for whatever reason, didn't record. <sighs> but thank God, guys, I always have a backup. So this, there is a backup recording. It just won't sound as great as um, the usual recordings do. So perfectly listenable. It's, it, I don't think you'll notice a huge difference, but it's not up to my lofty standards. That being said, it's all about the, the, uh, the quality of the conversation, not the audio as far as I'm concerned. Um, what else to tell you about? I should mention in my MTV shenanigans, there have been some really fun interviews I've done that you can uh, watch on MTV News' YouTube page. Had an extended chat with Jordan Peele, the writer-director of Us, and of course Get Out. That is out there right now. No spoilers in it. Just a fun, smart conversation with one of our um, really smartest filmmakers working today. Uh, also just chatted with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, uh, star of Veep, yesterday. That's going to be going up on MTV News' YouTube page very soon. That was um, awesome to do. Someone that I have, I have so much respect for. Um, she's kind of a living icon. And Veep, I have to say, I've seen the first three episodes of the new season. It is so funny. It is maybe my favorite show <laughs> right now on TV. So look forward to that. And meanwhile, Comedy Central After Hours chugging along. New episode coming out next week with a past podcast guest. Someone familiar to Happy Sad Confused listeners. A new um, participant in the after hour shenanigans though. So very excited about that. Uh, major TV and soon to be movie star starring in a new after hours. That's all the tease you get. It's coming very soon though. Uh, that's about it guys. A lot coming up, a lot of travel for me coming up. Um, some stuff going on with star Wars, maybe some Marvel stuff. A lot of things are cooking guys. Um, anyway, today's event, 
Mr. Colin Farrell. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy Second Views. Spread the good word and enjoy this chat with Colin. How you doing, man? How's it going? All is well. Yeah. All is well. We've just been comparing our... Yeah, but in a good way. Um, I'm going to... Remember I saw you once at the CinemaCon craziness in Vegas? Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. always like... I go for four days, which is... Is that three, coming up? Three days too long for Las Vegas. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, yes, that's, that's on Monday. And then I go to Star Wars Celebration, a Comic-Con oh, devoted to all things Star Wars. Really? That'll be fun. It will be fun. Yeah. Um, so we've have have, seen any new stuff? Nothing. No one sees anything. You know, Disney puts everything under walking. Yeah, it's yeah. a miracle that we've seen Dumbo. Did you see it? I did. Oh, cool. Um, congratulations on it, man. Thanks, man. Uh, I feel like it's a good litmus test for whether you're alive inside. If you're if you're dead yeah, yeah, inside, yeah, yeah. then yeah. You then Dumbo's not for you. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just icy a, stare, cold you've got stare. A kid that's dead, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> um, First of all, thanks, thanks for, for, the, for the time. I, as I was saying before, we, we, you know, we started this official conversation. This is a quick trip to New York. We are talking before 9 a.m. This is unprecedented for Happy Second Views for my podcast. It is for you. Me too, man. Are you a morning guy? No, not at all. <laughs> I love night shoots. Everyone else is bitching about night shoots, and I love them. But luckily, are you on a different time time zone right now? Like we're I don't know what time zone? I might be somewhere over the Azores. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what time zone we're on because we did we did we started the press tour in Los Angeles, then we went to Tokyo, then back to LA for two days, then London, Dublin, which isn't much of a jump, of course, and then here and then home. Do you resent a little bit that that the uh, the title guy is not doing carrying the load for this one? It's like it's on you to car- yeah, nowhere to be found. Surprisingly, what the fuck? I know, so selfish. <laughs> Just takes the glory, has the film named after him, and then disappears. Is it? Um, you know, in, in all seriousness, I did. I saw this last night, and I was I was really moved by it. It's, oh, cool. it's so sweet, and um, we're, we're roughly in the same age range. Where, like I, I grew up with Tim Burton. I, yeah, I skipped same. I skipped school uh, when I was thirteen years old to see Batman on opening day. Nice. I can say that now because nice. I yeah. actually have a degree. It all worked <laughs> yeah. out. Um, but was the, did it? Did he have residence for you growing up? Yeah, I mean, the first film of his I saw was Pee-wee's Big Adventure when I was, my brother showed me, I don't know what age I was, 10 or 11 or 12, um, and I had, I, even at that stage, I had that excitement that cinema can offer up sometimes where you're taken out of wherever it is you find yourself in life and you're transported somewhere else, somewhere yeah. very particular and very otherworldly, even though Pee-wee's Big Adventure was set in the contemporary world, it was still stylistic to the umpth degree, you know, because of Tim's kind of visual flair um, and then everything after that Beetlejuice Edward Scissorhands the, I mean he gets such great credit Burton for being such an extraordinary visual artist and creating these fantastical worlds and look I opened up talking about him by referencing the worlds that he creates um, but I don't think people mention they're affected by it but I don't think they mention because it's not as stark it's not as obvious the degree of heart that he has as a filmmaker oh, yeah. there's always some character that's struggling with some deep loneliness feeling like the outsider you know very much a reflection of I think Tim's youth in, in Burbank, you know, he spoke about himself, so I'm not letting any cat out of the bag. But did you ever see the picture of him online in his Halloween costume? I don't know if I have. Did you not? Is it amazing? Oh, no, it's all I got it now. Can I show you this? It's extraordinary. When I saw it first, I, I, I'm, I'm, I feel like I, he was came out of the womb looking like Tim Burton. Like he, like, well, probably... You know it, it might have taken him eight or nine years <laughs> to look like the Burton that we know. But to, to arrive at this so early in life, which is... You can tell me what it is now. You'll know as soon as you, as soon as the second you see it. Okay, what's that? That's um, uh, yeah. uh, that remember for Christmas. Yes. That's Jack Skellington. Yeah. But, well, that's that's his he Halloween did. costume as a like a child. When he's eight or nine or ten, Amazing. I don't know what age he is, and he created a prototype for Jack Skellington. <laughs> Isn't that just so much? So since then, he's been kind of. I suppose I I, I shouldn't speak for him, but I'm gonna anyway. Um, <laughs> He's been wrestling with, you know, what it is to, to be included or excluded or belong or that sense of not belonging that we all struggle with sometimes as human beings. And that's all over his work. And, and Dumbo's the quintessential outsider, somebody who's judged so harshly because of some physical anomaly they're born with that is right. deemed too different to be allowed into the, the social status, you know. It did remind me, to a surprising degree, in the best possible way of Edward Scissorhands. I was watching mm-hmm. it, and it, I was kind of just, like, having flashbacks to how I felt watching that one. That's cool, and, yeah. and, and you think And you mentioned the emotion. I always think back to Edward Boy. I was so moved by the end of that film. By Edward Scissorhands? Yeah. Yeah, it was so moving. Yeah, my kids love that now. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's just... 
he's cross generational really I think his work will never go out of fashion as long as there's loneliness in the human condition <laughs> sadly that means it will yeah exactly <laughs> what um what's the quintessential I'm on a Tim Burton set moment for this one like um I mean Jesus the, look the first day I arrived on the set we were doing the first scene that I appear in in the film which is Holt getting off the train arriving back having fought in the first war um so I, I walked into his studio stage and there's you know a, a full steam train with steam bellowing from its chimney and people in period costume jumping on and off the train with green scan so that was even yeah. just that I was oh like, I've joined the circus oh, officially yeah, yeah totally yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was Orson Welles said I get to play with the biggest train set in the world now yeah and and I just I loved watching Tim on set I just loved he's so playful and yeah. and frenetic he's like a Tasmanian dust devil you know you just <laughs> you really would get a creak in your neck trying to keep up with him um, he's left right back forth he's all over the place but but detailed and 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 just really engaged in the whole process every day every day going to work on this was like going to a circus albeit a static one not a traveling one but because we shot in the one location there wasn't a single frame that was shot outside it was all inside which was kind of magic to see the film then and see how you know 40 or 50 percent of it is is told under you know an afternoon sky or a those sunset beautiful skies sky, oh my god beautiful yeah. sunsets and Obviously, that was all down to the wizardry of those who work after the fact, after the shoot, you know. And what they did with Dumble, the actual creature, how they brought that to life. Which Imagine the pressure. Imagine that pressure. If that doesn't work. Seriously, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had a whole film there. The only thing that was missing was the central character, <laughs> the flying baby elephant. So I just thought what they did was extraordinary with that. It, it, it's funny. Like, I don't know about you, but for me, the people that, that, that really get me excited and, and kind of like pinch me moments on my side of the job is like, Talking to people like Tim, people yeah. that I grew up with, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the like the fact that like Tim Burton knows my name at this point is like the greatest yeah, like yeah, humble yeah. brag I'm happy to like <laughs> throw around because it just it just it just breaks my brain too. For you, is, is it similar to kind yeah, of totally. like work with those folks that that really yeah. made an impression? I mean, I remember 10 the first time or whatever. The only time I worked with Al Pacino, I was twenty, maybe twenty four. I don't think I was twenty. Yeah, twenty three or twenty four. And I arrived on a set and, you know, Pacino was getting mic'd up and we did our first scene together and it, it really was a pinch me moment because I had grown up with all his films, you know, Serpico and Dog Day and, and on and Godfathers and on and on. Um, so I, but I still get it. I'm not, I, I don't feel, I don't feel jaded by it. It's not that I work not to be jaded or stay fresh or stay grateful. That All, all that stuff may be there in, in shades, but it's just, I just have some... There's a kid inside me that will not be quietened completely, and nor should he be. Yeah. And he's still very alive. And and when I go onto a set like this one, and I see the extraordinary, elaborate worlds that are created, because as I said, there was so much CGI with the flying elephant and, and skylines and such. But all the stuff that was around us, all the tents, all the grass, all the trapeze artists, the contortionists from Mongolia, that was all there. I mean, you'd walk, it'd be 10 o'clock in the morning, and you'd leave the the outside where all the trailers were parked, where all the actors and stunts would live, and you'd go into this big warehouse, and it was just extraordinary what you'd see. Yeah. You know, it was extraordinary, so. And, and again, working with Tim was a bit of a pinch me moment for me as well. Surprised there was a little bit more nudity from Danny DeVito than you in this yeah, one. Yeah, more yeah. flesh from Danny. Well, if you watch, you know, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. That's you know, true. Danny does like to drop trail every now and then. I don't know if he likes it, yeah, but. I think he does. <laughs> Crawling out of couches, yeah, leather couches. Yeah, yeah. Fully vaseline. <laughs> exactly. Always. That's his style. Danny brought his own amniotic <laughs> Why? Well, I'll just roll the camera and we'll show you. Exactly. Um, okay, since uh, we've got some time, let's uh, let's go uh, down memory lane. It's early. Maybe I'll get some tears flowing before 9 a.m. Let's do this it, is man. catharsis. Let's do it. Okay, so, so people feeling on the that's right. New Jersey Turnpike. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so so growing up uh, in Dublin, family of more athletes than than the yeah yeah my father beers. my father and his um, his brother played professional football otherwise known as soccer um, they played for years yeah my dad earned his living until he was about twenty five or six I think he had shoddy knees that didn't quite do, go the distance uh, but that was it yeah and I thought that was my life until I was about fourteen was playing football playing soccer sun up till sundown every day I thought that's what I was possibly going to do with my life but it wasn't good enough now was when you started to exhibit interest in this profession in the arts yeah. what was the reaction from the family was there an adjustment um, period in terms no, of my br uh, there was no real uh, my dad wasn't too impressed as is often the story when it comes to exploring a livelihood in the art uh, my dad wasn't impressed very very working class stock um, he was a hard worker all his life and he had a business 
that I'm sure he kind of fancied I would go into. Um, so he wasn't too impressed, but then the first paycheck came in and he was all right with it. What was, was acting in a way you think like your first form of uh, rebelling or was rebelling maybe no, your really. first form the of first rebelling? Form of rebelling was just rebelling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was, was drinking and smoking and all the other stuff that you get to, you know, force the hand of your education with. Um, no, but but it, it was it was the first thing that maybe perhaps that I felt was entirely mine. You know, when you're in a family, of course, you're sharing things, you're sharing a home, you're sharing meals, you're sharing philosophies, you're sharing burdens, um, laughs, traumas, all the above. And this was the first thing that I felt was completely my doing or my creation or my realm that I could inhabit. And it was it was my thing and nobody else was really part of it. Uh, which is, I'm glad to say, has changed through the years. And now, of course, family, are, we travel together sometimes. And they come and visit, or if we're on the road doing promotional tours like this, I might have some family with me, etc. But at that time, yeah, it was, and it was also, I think it was an opportunity to, um, like many young boys, I grew up in a house where uh, emotions and, and feeling and the expressing of feelings and emotions wasn't really, right. you know, the done thing or wasn't really something to be favoured. So, so when I went into some acting classes and some workshops when I was 16 or 17 in Dublin, it allowed me to have a kind of an emotional language that I hadn't had the opportunity in school, trying to be a guy and yeah. tough enough. Wait, you guys want to hear about my feelings? You yeah, want me to access that, that stuff? stuff? Yeah, what? I mean, Dad used to literally <laughs> say, you know, emotions are weakness, and it's, it's no small irony that I make my living expressing and exploring my own emotions and whatever intellect I have. Um, so it was the first time, yeah, I remember feeling, wow, this is, this is incredibly liberating. It's yeah. incredibly liberating. Do you remember a, a shift in terms of um, taste in film and, and actors? You talked about Pacino, but um, but growing up, like and I've had this kind of conversation with a lot of people where you know at first it's it's you know I grew up with like Spielberg and and, and you know all Same. the Star Wars and all that kind of stuff, and then at a certain point you pop in the double cassette of The Godfather and you're like. What? Yeah, the sea change this? for me, sea change film for me was Paris, Texas. Oh, okay. That was the my vendors, call. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was my wake up call. Um, it was just the first time that I had been removed from the world of entertainment of the Spielbergian emblem world of you know, Close Encounters and E.T. Yeah. and Indiana Jones or Back to the Futures, you know, all those classic films that yeah. I now share with my kids. It was the first time I got, got exposed to a heavier affair that was dealing with the existential crises of being a human being and, and living with a broken heart and loneliness and isolation and fracture and all those things. So that was, yeah, Paris, Texas was, I just, when I saw that film, I was so moved and I felt that there was, even though I was only 16, 17, I felt like it spoke to me loudly and clearly as to certain questions and difficulties and struggles that I felt inside. That was, yeah. Was and, and what was the, as a 16, 17 year old, was, did you already have kind of Hollywood and, and the United States in your sights? In no, terms not of at all. I didn't even... I didn't even, how did it happen? So I did a class, I did a, an acting workshop when I was, I think, 16, and I loved it. And that lasted, maybe there was a 10-week course or something like that. And then I was, I was still in high school at that stage, and then I got thrown out of high school and didn't know what I was gonna do in my life. I did bits and pieces, worked as a painter, I worked as a country and western line dancing instructor. Sure, as, as one, does. one does. Yeah, 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 in Ireland. <laughs> The, you know, early nineties. Were you good um, at that? Was that a? That's all right. It was handy enough. It's not, you know, it's not Kirov ballet. You know? <laughs> so it was, it was handy enough. We had a coach flew in from Texas to put us through our paces, and then he had a bunch of Irish traveling in a minivan around the country, going to little pubs, and you know, wearing headsets and thinking we were, you know, the Madonna's version of uh, Western stars. Is the skill listed on the CV still, just in case, like at, uh, somewhere there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Way, way, way below horse riding and swimming, which I can't do, but it's even below that. Um, so that was, I went to Australia when I was 17 to right. live for a year, and that was the first time that I fell in with a group of artists um, who were quite extraordinary and used to, you know, drink vodka and really thick black coffee and smoke <laughs> bongs and talk about Tarkovsky and Dostoevsky and, and all these skis that I had no idea who they were. And, and they were kind of a, they were kind of very prominent part of whatever learning curve I've experienced as an actor, a man. And, and that was the first time I got to work on a piece of text with those guys. Uh, I did a play in Australia about the Kelly, Ray, 
Kelly, Ned Kelly and the Bush Rangers. Uh -huh. um, and I played Steve Hart, and that was the first time, as I said. So it was the first time, you know, I had done workshops before that, but I was with a bunch of actors. I was paid a couple of hundred dollars a week, and we were working on a text and rehearsing, and we put the show up, and it was brown trousers time. I was so nervous, but it was extraordinary just being with these people and exchanging thoughts and ideas and feelings and applying ourselves to this text. And so when I got home to Dublin after my year in Australia, I was 18. I, uh, I went to theatre school full-time, I decided to give it a go. But I wasn't thinking Hollywood, I wasn't thinking America. I was just too nervous and too kind of comprehensively dealing with the day-to-day -day business of working on monologues and, sure. and, and texts. You were, were you going up for the kinds of parts that you would end up getting like before Tigerland comes around? Tigerland, of course, is the Joel Schumacher film, which, yeah, the one, which the really... the first American film, which was, yeah, it was crazy after that. No, I had done... I had done a, I had done a play, I had done a TV show in Ireland called Bally Angel, which uh, afforded me the opportunity not to go back. I'm good at not finishing things, apparently, except for films, because it'd be hard to... That wouldn't work, yeah. Where's Colin? Yeah, he's decided to leave after <laughs> second act. He'll be okay without me. Um, I, I did two years on that, and, and the reason I left theatre school, I didn't go back for the second year, and it was a full-time course. I had a great first year, Was I did an audition that summer, and I got offered this role in Balikis Angel, and I thought, okay, so I'm here to learn how to approach character, to, you know, take a script apart and, and find relevance for me as an actor in these roles, and, and, and but basically, ultimately, to get work as an actor, to learn how to work as an actor, and, and so I got offered this opportunity to do that, and I thought, well, I won't go back for the second year, so I did two years on this TV show, which was amazing, amazing training, got to work with incredible Irish actors like Tony Doyle and Bertie Sweeney, and, um, and, and then I did a play in London, and then a small part in a film... In, in Dublin based on the play. There was an actor in London who came to see me, an American actor who came to see me in the play and he was doing a film in Dublin and he spoke to the director. I met the director and I got cast in that film. It wasn't a very good film at all, but it was enough to get me an American agent. Right. And then based on that, I ended up sending a tape to Joel Schumacher who directed Tigerland. And I remember Joel saying, look, you know, we don't, something along the lines of, we don't love you enough to fly you over to Los Angeles, but if you happen to be in town, it'll be good for you to read in person. So, of course, I jumped on the first plane and flew over. And, and so, yeah, anytime I like to say I wasn't that ambitious as a kid is obviously bullshit because I got on the plane. Yeah. I got on the plane, I headed west. Um, and I've always just basically pursued the opportunities that were presented to me, you know, which is why at this stage I, I, I think I'd like to get more involved. I, I want to direct at some stage, you know, it comes a time where just iterating, albeit as much as you try to own them, the words of others kind of almost isn't enough, you know? Yeah. And you see how all-encompassing directing is, and writing is beautiful as well, is incredibly therapeutic. And um, But anyway, yeah, that was Tigerland, was a huge, huge... An amazing film in, in a number of respects. I mean, it, it, it makes your career, despite actually not being seen by... It didn't, no, like, nobody, make money. It no, wasn't a huge no, thing. the industry saw it. The industry, the right yeah. people saw and it. And I heard that when, when Joel was cutting it together in Tigerland, look... Like, it was like, a glorified audition video for yeah, you. Totally, Who was your yeah, calling yeah, card? Really expensive. Yeah, ten million dollar. Yeah, ten million dollar. Uh, Didn't make the studio any money, but it yeah, made yeah, your exactly. career. Yeah, show real. Ten million dollar show real. But um, Joel was very open in the editing room when he was cutting that together, and there was directors I heard of that were going in to have a look because they'd heard about this Irish kid who was in it who was supposedly decent, and and it's a, it's a it's a business like most major. You know, at the top end of most businesses, there is an element of fear. Fear compels people, and right. fear breeds competition and all that kind of thing. Well, it's no different, and maybe more so in, in Hollywood. So I think I capitalized on the fear of a lot of people that were like, well, we don't want to miss them, so someone throw a lot of money at him, and I earned so much money in the first five years. You know, I really did. It was insane. I mean, I went from $30,000 in my first film to $2.5 million in my third, and I was 23. I mean, it was just madness. It, it was, like, you, you in particular, I feel like, when I look back uh, at what happened there, and I think of someone like McConaughey, that Schumacher yeah. similarly kind of helped yeah. with The Time to Kill. Like, you stand for, like, that, 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 that time when you could make uh, someone's career and really give them some huge, exciting opportunities and go from zero to 60. Yeah. Suddenly you're, you're starring with Pacino and Bruce Willis and Tom Cruise. Uh, Tom Cruise. And it's, it's in Minority Report, of course. And like, so for, at that point, are you just riding the wave? Or do you feel like you're yeah, in control of your own no, destiny? No, not in control. I mean, I, I liked to, I think I liked to pre present the appearance that I was in some version of control and the way, of course, that I could do that because there's no way to control a machine that's as big as the machine that was behind me and I include any element of interest expressed by a studio. Like, there was a lot of energy that I capitalized on um, in my career initially, of course. But, but 
I think the way I tried to present the idea of control was to pretend that I didn't care about any of it. Yeah. Not that I knew school, I was yeah. pretending. I was just like, ah, it all means nothing and this and that and the other. And, and um, it was just a lot. Look, it was great and it was massive good fortune, but it was a lot. And I, I was still very, I was still very young in my journey as an actor as well. As I said, I had only, I had only done a workshop when I was sixteen. I had just done one play, right. as much as I was turned on by it, with a bunch of actors in Australia when I was eighteen. And then I came back and I did one year in theatre school, two years on a television show, one play, small part in a terrible film. And then all of a sudden, I did this one thing in America, and it was off to the races. So it was a lot. I still was figuring out my what my relationship was to yeah. acting and how much I liked it. And all of a sudden, my passion for it, I suppose, was kind of was cut into by how I responded or how I was dealing with the amount of enormous fame that came seemingly overnight. So I'm curious, like, is there imposter syndrome then? Where, like, yeah, you're totally, like, I'm getting these yeah, opportunities yeah, yeah. and in your heart imposter of hearts, you're syndrome. like, I'm not ready for yeah, them. I, I shouldn't be getting this. Totally, totally, totally. And you know, there might be still shavings of that that still exist. Anyone worth their salt, you know, I ho totally, hopefully doesn't yeah, think they actually deserve to be there. No, of course, because <laughs> we don't. There's so much chance, you know? There's so much chance. There's, there is no answer to why me and not that person, because it's not just, look, there's actors that are on a stage in small towns in Bulgaria now that are more than able, if not better, at doing what I do than I am. And so, you know, there's no rhyme or reason. There's just so much chance, and you use whatever opportunity comes your way, and you work as hard as you can. But there was, yeah, imposter syndrome, or a little bit of guilt as well, you know, mm -hmm. that all this stuff was coming, and, and I didn't understand it. And it was just so, it was so much so quick. I mean, you, you've obviously been always remarkably candid and, and, and like I feel like you spent especially like the last like six or seven years apologizing for your first ten years in your career. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because yeah, look, I mean, you were also, you talk about kind of growing in as an actor, you were, you were kind of figuring out who you are as a human being. Yeah, you, you were, much, yeah. you know, there was a bit of arrested development, yeah. safe to say, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, were you, were you able to compartmentalize, like you were, you know, dealing with stuff offset and kind of addictions and that kind of thing, were you able to actually be the professional you needed to be on I set? I mean, I was, yeah, to, I really was and that was that didn't do me any favors you know it did many productions a favor because it meant that my the way I was living offset didn't bleed onto I mean I don't know what the performances would have been like if I was sober I, I don't know if they'd be better or worse I right. never know and I don't really care it's kind of irrelevant but I certainly I had an engine you know and I was young I was 23 24 25 26 27 before I got sober um, and I had an engine I could go out till honestly till five o'clock in the morning get an hour and a half sleep and then put in a 14 hour day where I wouldn't miss a beat, wouldn't miss a mark, wouldn't drop a line, wouldn't, I was very professional, which I know is ridiculous to say, but right. you know, I certainly had the appearance of that. So I, I got away with murder for years. Did, did you know, did you intellectualize like at some point this is gonna run out? Like I'm not immortal or were no. you, or every no. 25 year old does think you're immor no, immortal? No, like, like, like any decent addict, you don't think, you know, in, in rational terms like that, not yeah. at all. No, but you're just, you know, you're, 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 I suppose, in, in any kind of struggle with addiction and in any livelihood that one is involved in while they deal with addiction, I suppose you're constantly, you're constantly trying to prop yourself up. You're constantly behind yourself. You're, 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 you're living in a, you're living in a state of not trying to make mistakes. Right. Which is kind of a negative. Mitigate failure. Of and course, yeah. all that stuff. <laughs> so that's not, you know, that does not scream of the opportunity to have expansive freedom within your artistic endeavor. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Do, do you remember times where, like, did any actors or filmmakers, like, pull you aside and kind of redo no. the right act? And no, not at all. Really? No, because as I said, you were doing set, your thing. You were... I was doing my thing and I was, you know, I was doing a decent enough job. Never nearly fired from a gig. You were always no, no. There was a, well, there was one. There was, there was I mean, there was a couple of. Don't get me wrong. There was a couple of hairy days. <laughs> there was one line in Minority Report. I asked them not to. I asked them, you know, uh, with a great degree of arrogance, would they not work me the day after my birthday? On my, please don't have me working on June first because my birthday's May thirty first, and you know I thought a hundred million dollar film would at least listen to that request. <laughs> I mean, possibly, Stephen, possibly <laughs> you know conceive of honouring it, but Stephen, but they did. I worked, I think it was June first, and yeah, it was a rough night. I didn't get any sleep, and that was one time where the line was, I'm sure you've all grasped the fundamental paradox of pre-crime methodology, and I only know it now still, you know, 16 years later, because it should be on my tombstone, because it caused so much panic and anxiety. My sister was on the set that day, and she had to leave the set, and I got 36 takes, um, and it was a disaster. But so, look, there was days where it was a little bit hairy, but, you know, by and large, no. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, it's funny, Minority Report always sticks out to me. That's uh, such a great 
I, I love your performance in that. I love that it, it just came at such a perfect time in terms of you kind of. It's a fun role because you kind of well, get to give Cruz some shit Tom and like was, Tom had any fear of my rising star or any of that nonsense. I'm truly not saying that, but there was a kind of a a mirroring of you know a, sure. this cocky little upstart yeah. in yeah. life, and he was more established in his career, and that's exactly what was happening in in the film. You know, this guy Danny Whitworth was, was trying to supplant himself into into Tom Cruise's career, Anderton's career. Um, so it was clever casting. Um, jumping around, we talked a little bit about the recruit, which is obviously a great opportunity to work with with the Chino. Um, that's a pinch me moment. Uh, your one contribution to the superhero genre, Daredevil. Yeah, yeah. You got in a little too early, I feel like, in that a one. Too early. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the Marvel that we've all grown to love and and. That being said, I reaped would... massive award from being a part of. <laughs> you 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 never got bad notices for that. You actually got good notices yeah. for Daredevil, as I recall. Yeah. Um, did are, uh, should I be surprised that? That you're, you haven't kind of re-entered the DC Marvel universe. Have they talked to you about that no, stuff? No, I don't think so. I, don't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I was you. I, mean, I couldn't. But, well, I wouldn't know what it is. To be <laughs> but I'm not surprised myself. I, I don't. I, like I don't have any. I don't want for much, Josh. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I, you know, the work has been good to me and for me for years, and I feel I truly feel um, more connected to it now than I ever have. It's this strange paradox that that's somehow when you don't identify your worth with something as much as maybe you once did, then you're free to enjoy it to a greater degree. Well, and part of it is, when, I'm, when I was on the, as I'm on the outside looking in and I sort of look at the whole body of work, especially in recent years, is like, there must be something free, freeing about not chasing a certain kind of ideal. Where like, yeah, you know, you've been, you've been the leading man and you can yeah. be the leading man, yeah. but it seems like you're just as content to be totally. the supporting guy and, and you've is, relished those opportunities. Yeah, totally, I mean, if there wasn't, you know, Certain responsibilities and 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 stuff. I mean, I'd be I'd be okay doing one or two five million dollar budget films. I mean, they're the ones that speak to me loudest right. and, and clearest. Of course, are the ones that are more intimate. Um, whether it's the Imbruges or the Lobsters or, or Undine, which nobody saw, uh, which I'm glad I did because I got my youngest son out of. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I'm glad that chapter, that first seven year chapter, is done because it, yeah. it was, as I said, not that I'm in control. There are too many factors that are that are related to my quote-unquote career now that I don't feel in control of it totally. But back then, the ship was bigger, it was faster, it took a longer time to write it, to turn direction, the momentum was huge. So I'm glad that it's, it's different these days. Uh, part of me wants to just start a podcast series with you discussing two films in particular, uh, Alexander and Miami Vice. I feel like there could be like a 10-hour sure. mini-series on each of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were both very, very um, elaborate, very dramatic um, slash traumatic slash fantastic <laughs> exciting adventures and they both films took six months to shoot both films had two or three months four months of pretty intense prep yeah. both films weren't received in the way that people that were involved in them hoped they'd be received but they both yeah they were they were great parts of my my you know uh, learning curve again so um, I've, I've again since we're in the same age group I assume Oliver meant a lot to you growing up as he, yeah, I remember totally. seeing JFK JFK blew JFK like brains blew me away. Yeah. yeah it's still a really pleasing watch I don't care how factually you know oh. obvious it may be as just as like a, a dramatic thriller it's a, it's a pleasing watch John oh. Candy John Candy John Candy with those close-ups with the cigarette and it's just so tasty <laughs> that like 20 minute monologue by Donald Sutherland in the middle yeah. of the film yeah, it's, no, it's just great. and Costner's a fantastic actor absolutely He's a fantastic actor um, so I, well, I watched Field of Dreams recently oh, when was the last time you watched that I've watched it many times because oh, that one wrecks it's me it's really beautiful man. <laughs> Oh my god! Kind of a perfect movie. Bert Lancaster, yeah. Um, so Oliver, Oliver, I had yeah. And Platoon was a big one for me, you know, which was why when Tigerland came around, and Tigerland obviously never makes it across the ocean to Vietnam. It was set around the time right. the troops were beginning to be withdrawn, and the time was tide was changing here. There was no support in America, rightfully enough. And um, but I was kind of I wasn't obsessed by that period in American history, but that war was kind of, you know, this kind of a cinematic war that you grow up with? Yeah. That was the war that I grew up with, was the Vietnam War. So, yeah, I, Oliver was, was huge to he, me. He, he, I mean, I feel like Alexander is one of those examples of what happens when you give... Um, and I made this in the best possible way, like a madman. He's kind of a, a crazy yeah, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy genius. Um, $100 million to make yeah. the passion project since, yeah. that he's had since he and was a teenager. And they're all mad, by the way. I mean, <laughs> Peter Weir is mad in the most dignified and classical way. He's mm -hmm. like a you know, very mild-tempered professor, but he's just his attention to detail is insane. Terrence Malick, yeah. uh, Tim Burton. You know, Oliver, 
Oliver has has a Oliver has a a kind of passion to him and a kind of an animalism to him. He's a provocateur. Yeah, he's absolutely. like in, in both the product the that he's doing now, you know, the documentary work yep. that he's doing now and the people that he's interviewing around the world and as as much as he may be limited in how hard he can hit people like Putin, you know, I, I, I have to take my hat off to him. He's asking questions and he's putting the camera in places absolutely. that the Western world wouldn't be exposed to if it weren't for him. Um, so to work with him on this was, was extraordinary. But, it, you know, he had a bunch of actors as well that were, we were all in our own little way. <laughs> Interesting turnings at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was Val Kilmer's a little left of center, Val, what? You know, Angelina, Jared Rosario, <laughs> and then cast a bunch of actors to play the generals from Dublin, from various parts of Ireland, from Kerry and Cork. And it was a shit show. It was, <laughs> it was wonderful. And it was a very old-fashioned way of making right. huge epic films. You know, David Lean said that, film production is the last great circus and it was very much you know we started in North Africa we shot there for we were there for three or four months and then we moved to to Pinewood in, in London and then we went to Thailand and we finished up two months in Thailand and it was it was incredible but the film wasn't what we'd hoped it would be but the experience was just enormous I would imagine I, yeah my, my one of my offsided uh, anecdotes I bring up on the podcast all the time is my, one of my favorite flights I've ever been on is when I happened to sit next to Oliver on a flight to LA and we ended up watching the Gary Marshall film New Year's Eve together <laughs> fantastic <laughs> Got away for Oliver, of course. <laughs> he had yeah. so many questions about it. Who's that? Really, Who's that? I bet you that was really confusing for him. More oh, than I swear to God, he, yeah. he was running down notes like, more than "Who is Leah Michelle?" Any didactic <laughs> that would be. Yeah, that would, <laughs> he take his notepad out of his pocket. Oh yeah, he. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to say. Yeah, um, the world of post-its. He, just, he thinks so much, and he's such a fluid thinker. And speaking of Oliver. Astonishingly impressing man. My my my, sen my sense from hearing you talk about Miami Vice is it's probably not a pleasant watch for you to see that film now. Like, because I honestly could I, I I've said this before, kind of you know joking, but you know half in jest, full in earnest. But um, I honestly could only remember about a third of it. I really, I mean, that was when my when we were shooting Miami Vice was when I was kind of getting close to being done with, yeah. just personally living a particular way that I was, and I was I was I was pretty sick, just garden variety. You know, alcoholic and drug addict at the time, um, and and certainly my pursuit of oblivion had, you know, taken the lead over my pursuit of any artistic integrity or any any desire to tell stories that were of worth. Which is not to say I didn't I ever stopped caring about the work. That's really not true. But I just didn't know how to really care about anything in an engaging, uncluttered way. Well, it must have been a particular challenge. I mean, you're dealing with all that stuff, and then you're dealing with like the most meticulous. Mm human being on the planet, Michael Mann, yeah. who yeah. does not suffer fools. No, he doesn't. And look, I got on decently with Michael and we had our run-ins and stuff. And when I see him socially now, he's the, he's the loveliest man um, of all the time in the world from when I've crossed paths with him through the years. But at the time, there was a degree of detail and there was a degree uh, that, that, that did feel um, at times constricting. Sure. You know, there was a little... It's a film that, from talking to you know fans of film, cinephiles or or just Joe Blogs, it has it has garnered in the last few years a favour that it didn't have when it came out. Yeah. People have come back and found it and thought that it wasn't as bad as maybe they initially reacted to it. But but there was there was a certain life that I shared with Jamie, which is a very grandiose way of saying we got on well mm -hmm. and we had a laugh off camera. And while I never thought it should have been a buddy movie and I thought it, it should have and it did try to honour in a contemporary way the, the tone of the original series I thought there could have been a little bit more light between the two of us yeah. and that was one of my creatively that was just one of my great frustrations was that Jamie and I again not that it should have been high fives and it was never going to be lethal weapon it wasn't designed to be lethal weapon which is brilliant um, but it, we could have got a little bit more of what we were doing off camera on, into the characters and a little bit more of the history that way but I also understood what Michael was going for which was the unspoken sense of trust yes. and the deep familiarity that transcends language or affection demonstrated between two men you know who really had each other's backs but it was a tough gig. It was a tough gig. Yeah. Did, did you find clarity in your personal life informed your, your work immediately, sort of when you kind of like got a little bit more on the straight and narrow? Did, did I just it... felt, you know, the most practical difference that I noticed was how limiting um, the way I had worked was. I would, I would have, you know, I would desperately try to understand what a particular scene um, was about and what the purpose of the scene was and what my job was within the scene, which is fair enough. And I would pursue that one thought rather than what I noticed when I got a little bit on the straight and narrow and I, I was less cluttered, less fearful. I don't know if I was less fearful, but I was certainly less cluttered. I, I was, you 
you know, less tired. I was, I was just more open and more available. Right. What I found was that I could, I, I could arrive at what my sense of understanding was into the, into, um, the life, in regard to the life of a character, and I could take that, and then I could do the scene three or four, not diametrically opposed ways, but three or four different ways. I could modulate, I could have a freedom and play within a scene. And even though, and what you're doing in that case, of course, though, is you're obviously trusting the director because they get to really, really shape your performance. Right, modulate you and yeah, give, give me 10% really, more honestly, here. they yeah. really have as much, if not more of an influence of how your character is ultimately represented in a film than you do. Um, but I found that freedom and I found that very liberating and I found that very satisfying as well, that I didn't just pursue one idea, take after take, try and get that one thing which is both ineffable and, and unattainable. I, I would play within the scene knowing that there was no right or no wrong, there were just different varieties and different modulations that I was given a direction. It is interesting to see like the, the range of filmmakers that you've worked with and seemingly yeah. enjoyed working with yeah, in yeah, your yeah, career. Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. love Malik, but but he couldn't be more different, I would think, than um, Martin McDonough. Yeah, yeah, and Martin and Terry have a good friendship as well. Oh, really? Yeah, because Martin was a huge fan of. I think Badlands is a really important film for him, as it is for so many of us. Um, yeah, I've I've loved. I look. I've never been able to answer with any degree of honesty or certainty. Uh, the question, how do you like to work? Do you like to rehearse or not rehearse? That question right there, do you like to rehearse or not rehearse? <laughs> I swear to God, man. You can, put me in, you can put me in a room, you know, and give me room service every day for a week. I still wouldn't be able to come up with an answer. I like to go off the director. I really do. And it's not because I... I yeah, I, and I, you know, there's been times where I've questioned, should I have a particular way to work after doing this for 20 years? Shouldn't I be more certain or uh, exercise any kind of degree of strength that might be permitted because of the body of work that I've done and it's like no I just love I love going to work and seeing what kind of environment and what dynamic directors like to create and then not losing myself in that but totally applying whatever it is I, I do or whatever it is I feel to the structure that is presented by them so Martin McDonough you rehearse in a black box room for three weeks before you go onto the set uh, Yorgos Lanthimos you know not at all we played a couple of little kind of uh, theatre school games you know back to back and with Nicole and uh, you face that corner you face that corner and now shout your lines at each other we did that for about really? three hours on a Thursday and That's that was rehearsal um, <laughs> but Nicole's like I've done this with Lars von Trier. I got yeah, this yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, I know how to do yeah, this yeah, no, she's fairly, Nicole's fairly unflappable <laughs> I love that performance I love Killing of Sacred Deer but I also love I mean the lobster it must be so pleasing for you to watch I mean, this sounds this sounds a little loaded, but like to watch yourself in that film, it's like you're playing. You look more like me than you look like you in that film. Uh, it is. Well, a tr- <laughs> you should say that, Josh. There was a picture of you in my trailer. <laughs> the it, truth you, revealed. You heard it here first. No, I, I look. It was. Um, I. I mean, that whole film. I was sure I was never going to work again. I really was. I remember saying to my sister, "I am. This is it. They. I, I am going to be. This is the dullest, most boring. Because you know, as actors, we, we often." I want to act, I want to do stuff. Yeah, as human beings, we think if we're not doing something, if we're not being active, if we're not moving, if we're not expressing our thoughts, if we're not moving, then we're not doing something. If we're not expressing our thoughts, then we don't have opinions. And so it's very much the same as an actor. You are given carte blanche. It's called drama for a reason, and you feel the burden of that. You feel if you're not doing something, if you're not emoting. But sure, the audience are already thinking, feeling, sentient human beings, and sometimes they just want to reflect, project their emotions upon what they're seeing on the screen. So The Lobster was the perfect example of that. I did so little... Um, but it was fairly specific. It was fairly uniform, I have to say. But there was no... Yeah, I was sure I wasn't going to work after that film. Seeing the films, Josh, never. There's twice in my life I can remember seeing uh, films that I was in that they, my presence didn't totally ruin the experience. <laughs> and that was The New World because it was so aesthetically just jaw-droppingly beautiful. And uh, Dumbo because of a similar reason, you know, albeit one is artifice and one is... The, the rawness of nature, Dumbo being the artifice, Dumbo being, you know, right. as I say, the sets were real, but there was so much kind of that went in after the fact, and it was so elaborate and so colorful and so manufactured by the human imagination and the human touch in relation to the craftsman, the creator of the sets. New World was the other thing, it was just catching nature on the fly. It was Terry with a camera on his shoulder most of the time. Oh, God, was that an osprey? And off he'd go into the distance while you were halfway through a line, and it wasn't insulting because it was so pure. So those are the two films, because they're so kind of total in the beauty of their aesthetic that I could kind of nearly almost, perhaps, <laughs> small bit. Any more qualifiers? Enjoy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
I, I really enjoyed you in Fantastic Beasts. Oh, uh, I, I thought I thought uh, it was an exceptional performance. I loved you in Ezra in that film. Yeah, I, have, I, I have a great fondness for Ezra, who is a, a wild man in the yeah. best possible way. Um, I'm just curious, like, what was it like to work with Ezra and be around Ezra's like crazy life force? Did he remind you a little bit of, of your own? Yeah, a, li- a little bit. I mean, Ezra is, it was a lot more refined. His life force was a lot more refined than it felt less scatological than mine was back in the day. <laughs> Perhaps. Must be um, Christians? What are we saying? No, he just, you know, it was just less of a shit show, I suppose. It's <laughs> a nice way of saying it. Literal, literal <laughs> translation for radio. He's actually keeping it together. Yeah. yeah, no, he was, he, he's an extraordinary man. He's incredibly bright and talented, and his, his spirit is just so fluid and, and, and buoyant and, and, and rich, I feel. I loved working with him. I loved that relationship, exploring that relationship. Um, there was no, you know, I heard after the fact that some people were alluding to some homoerotic mm-hmm. underpinnings between he and I. That was never referred to. They, again, it's a pure example of what the audience brings to the table. Um, but there certainly was an, an emotional manipulation going on and, and the, the, the sensual um, uh, collateral of touch right. and the whispered word was used heavily by Graves and he could see that this child was fractured and he just you know stepped into the chasm and, and did what he needed to do to, to meet his ends but I loved it it was great fun it was great fun to be part of that canon you know because again no matter how long I'm acting I, I can never act longer than I've been a fan of films so that's first and foremost I love films I go to the cinema all the time I adore them they're not ruined for me quite the opposite with my involvement in making them um, and it was great to be part of that canon it was a lovely world to step on to again it was you know the, these worlds of imagination that were represented by what J.K. Rowling created you know in Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts and what Tim Burton has created for 30 plus years and what he created with Dumbo are incredible worlds to step into yeah. they're, 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 more, they're more exciting in a childlike way than the lobsters and the sacred deers of course it touches sacred a different part of you yeah. really yeah. touch an existential part of me that still struggles with the meaning of life um, Dumbo and Fantastic Beasts not so much but God it's a good day out at the office you know I remember talking to you once uh, we were talking when we sat down here about um, I'm going to CinemaCon next week in Vegas I was interviewing you on a carpet there it was for the Sofia Coppola film and um, Oldman walked by oh yeah you guys oh, yeah, had a you. great we moment oh that was beautiful what a spirit that, well, that was yeah that's... lovely and there was me caught in a moment's no truly honesty I saw a 12 year old Colin totally and he is there <laughs> he's in the passenger seat he was more in the driver's seat some years ago right but, um, exactly yeah. but he's in the passenger seat and he'll never be evicted from the car and he's <laughs> earned his place you know but that was yeah getting having a little word with Oban that day I mean huge I grew up you know Sid and Nancy in meantime and you know every other film that he's, that he's you know Let's, let's not guy. forget about the transformation that is Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, I was, I was God, obsessed. Which I loved when that came out. <laughs> I literally I watched memorized so that times. script. I think at the time. God, that's another really pleasing watch still to this day. It's a really pleasing watch. Well, because of the way Coppola uh, approached it too. He used yeah. old school effects. Absolutely, it, it's it not dated gothic, at all. It's just yeah, yeah. And that bat suit at the end was extraordinary. <laughs> exactly. CGI. You know, I mean, there's not a lot you can do with a flying elephant. You got to go CGI. But sure. Uh, Tim is adamant that as 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 much reality as couldn't be lent to the experience of telling his stories, he'll he'll get in there and lend it. No, I'm thrilled. I was I was frankly relieved how much in watching it. He, he's gone to different ends of the spectrum. He's yeah. used CGI a lot. Totally, the yeah. Alice films he had to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but this one, but this is works. A, with a mix of special effects and practical. This is again akin to as you were saying, Edward Scissorhands a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of stuff like Fantastic Beasts, are, are the kids more of a deciding factor at all in terms of Dumbo? In terms no, of, no, it's just good fortune. Yeah, it's just a nice kickback to do something that they can actually yeah. see, you know, because they're not really in Bruges and Sacred Deer aren't really appropriate. Yet. <laughs> You're not um, going to start them with Sacred Deer? That's not the. <laughs> oh my God. No, it's always, yeah. Let's see what happens to a child if oh. I begin them with killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah. <laughs> and get a pillowcase to put over their heads and see how they react God. while they're watching it. No, no, no. Yeah, it's nice to do things that they're. It was really nice to sell this film, Dumbo on the Road, because just the sense of, of light around the whole thing was really extraordinary and infectious. And we did the, the premiere in LA, and it was just kids and families. And yeah. I thought, man, Dwayne Johnson is onto something. <laughs> this, is a be- this is a beautiful energy to be a part of putting out yeah. to the world, you know, instead of usually having depressed adults leave my films. Right. It's these kind of, you know. Yeah, and and earnestness is like the one thing that like feels like is out of fashion now. So any totally. an, uh, antidote to that is totally. like so and welcome. There's nothing if it's not earnest. At yeah, center, you know? yeah, you got to just embrace it. Yeah. Um, so what is what is the? Do you trust your gut more in terms of 
how you choose your stuff nowadays? Like, do you feel like you have a better sense I mean, of how to navigate the career? No, and any any films that I that I did from you know two thousand to two thousand and eight or ten or whatever, they were all still on paper. They were. It's always a shot in the dark. It's always a shot. There are just too many factors involved in making a film. Look, I see a film that I think might be a steaming turd and I still take my hat off to the endeavour bring, well you know you know what goes yeah 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 and the effort that goes into it and nobody goes out to make a bad film but I now I don't feel like I have any better creative barometer or any higher degree of certainty as to what will or won't work it's just a case of wherever you find yourself on a particular day and the questions you have in life and, and you know you, you have a marriage of your own beliefs and, and the beliefs that are represented in the material or there's a, a diametrical push between what you believe as a human being and your philosophies of life and the material but you just have to be curious there has to be something in it that moves you um, you know I, when I read The Lobster I did not know what the hell they just did to my brain after an hour <laughs> and a half of reading and I couldn't imagine I couldn't envision a world where, but I, it's where you could deliver these lines in a way that were normal Right. That weren't weird. Right. That the character wasn't feeling like it. I, I was like, how do you inhabit that to the, to the point where you can just have these conversations and they can be just a normal way of communicating? Uh, but I had seen Dogtooth. And that's what, you know, I've worked with a lot of first time directors, or at least a few, but oftentimes as well, like I'm going to work with a filmmaker called Kogan now in New York, over here in May and June. And I saw a film that he did called Columbus. And I was, did you see it? I didn't see it. Really. That. Was, lovely intimate film with John Cho and oh I, I did see that one yeah yeah. yeah 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 so I'm going to work with him next and I just saw that film and I just thought it was so beautifully told and his framing was kind of if Yorgos was a little bit more um, a, a little less abstract and was doing a little more kind of I don't want to say a little more straight down the line drama it'd kind of be what Coconut did on this film there's an awkwardness of framing but it's very beautiful it pulls you into the film and, and there was a lack of histrionics and the characters were dealing with very weighty themes but they were just deeply and simply inside the story um, so I'll go to work with him you know so I, I don't feel like I have any, any more acute a barometer than I ever did but is, the, is there a filmmaker that you've chased, whether consciously or unconsciously, over the years that you're surprised you haven't worked with yet? I mean, you've... No, not at all. I'm surprised, really, with the directors I have worked it's with. It's an amazing yeah, kind it's of list. Yeah, it's amazing, you know. I mean, there are filmmakers I, I really adore, and, and, you know, it's like, I don't think there's a better filmmaker in the world than P.T. Anderson, you know. I just don't. I just think he's just extraordinary. Do you see Phantom Thread? Yeah. I mean, the first 10 minutes of that, it was just lying on the couch, like catnip. It was like cinematic catnip. Uh, yeah, the second time I saw it, I was like, oh wait, this is one of the best black comedies I've seen in like a yes, decade. That's pretty. This relationship between him and his sister is pretty special. So great. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, I will let you go. You probably have right, another right. plane to, to jump onto. Who knows where you're off to next? Heading home, baby. But good for you. Um, but you'll be. It sounds like you'll spend some quality time in New York soon. Yeah, shooting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Been Excellent. Here. Excellent. Um, congratulations Thanks, on being Josh. a part of the uh, crazy Tim Burton universe. Uh, Dumbo's a special one. Thanks. Everybody, check it out. We need a little light in the universe right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, and thanks so much for your time today, Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Josh. Always a pleasure. Always. Man. Thanks, yeah. man. Cheers, pal. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>